This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. There's no way around it. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week for Georgia State men's basketball as they dropped both games on a road trip that took them to Old Dominion and that team down south. We'll try and diagnose some of what ails the Panthers as they sit here at 9-11 and 11 on the season and 2-6 and six in the Sun Belt, as well as preview the upcoming trips to App State and Marshall. But first, we got to talk about this basketball week, gentlemen. 0-2 on the week, a 70-58 loss at Old Dominion, and a 58-52 loss at Georgia Southern. The Panthers were without Dewan Odom for both games, with him asking for some time away from the team, according to the radio broadcast of Saturday's game. Down their leading score, they languished offensively in both games, not crossing the 60-point mark in either after hitting 100 in their previous game against Coastal Carolina. On Thursday, a 9-0 Georgia State run at the end of the first half closed the ODU lead to just 8, but State couldn't sustain the momentum and didn't cut the deficit any lower in the final 20 minutes. And on Saturday, a woeful 13-plus minute scoreless stretch was impossible to overcome for the Panthers, who were plus 12 in the second half, but needed to erase an 18-point Eagles halftime lead. So yeah, gentlemen, uh, yeah, lots to talk about with this. What you got? Well, I suppose we should start with the, I guess you'd say, elephant in the room. Uh, Dewan Odom not being available in these games, and from what we heard from the radio broadcast, was basically all the information that's out there publicly. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just want to say off the start, I think it's probably good that for whatever reason he would ask away like we don't necessarily need to know like even us in the podcast content making business i'm perfectly fine with a world where he is able to keep that to himself and it isn't getting aired out because i feel like if we were a podcast of a school for you know power conference you know elite elite stuff like that probably is getting leaked like an hour after the game and stuff is you know whatever is going on is becoming public info because people are so craving for it I'm I'm honestly glad we can live in a world where that isn't the case. And my thought all along on it, just based on the way that it was phrased on the radio, and is that it wasn't a super permanent thing. It wasn't like he left the team. It's that he stepped away. And nothing since has convinced me otherwise. So I don't really have any concrete anything to report on the podcast about that. But I still don't really see it as a long-term thing. But in the short term that was this past set of games, that it mattered like him not being there affected the team on offense in both of these games. Um, it's not like you can just hang it as an excuse because the guys who went out there still had to go out and play still had to uh, be ready. And it wasn't like an injury where in the middle of the game, you had to adjust like going into the game, he wasn't on the trip. So they would have gone in knowing this is what was up. Uh, they weren't able to adapt. Yeah, you know, it, it sucks because you look at Dwan's offensive production this year and he's averaging 14.6 a game. And, you know, you look at the deficit with ODU as a 12-point loss. You look at the Georgia Southern deficit, it was a six-point loss. And you really think to yourself, okay, yeah, if they just had that one player, they could have, you know, that would have fixed everything, right? No, not really. That's not how that works. Um I, I also heard the, you know, the comments about his status and I didn't think that it was a permanent thing anyways, until we have more information. I'm not even going to speculate like it's a permanent thing just because it, 
it sounded like I, we have seen Georgia State players leave the team, both football and basketball. Um, the in the wording, middle of the season, even. Yeah, Nothing in the middle Jordan of the Rolls. season. Yeah, and the wording was completely different. Um, so whatever you know is ailing him, I hope he, you know, has a good support system behind him. Has is getting the you know treatment or you know whatever he needs to you know get back to being himself. But as far as these two games, man. Woof is the only word that I can really say. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, after saying all that, the ODU game, I don't really know that the offense, I mean, the offense wasn't good. The offense was a problem. You only scored 58 points, sub 35% shooting as a team. But you know, for all the fact that ODU only scored 70, the defense is really... It wasn't great. You, ODU's made over 70% of their two-point attempts. They were 24 of 34 inside the arc. You're not going to beat many teams doing that, You know, allowing that. And this team especially isn't. Like It's unfair, and it's, it's a standard that you're having to be held to that's pretty hard to live up to. But with the offensive struggles, and especially without your top scorer, this defense has to be great some games to win it. And they weren't really approaching that in this game and so it's a 12 point game when all was said and done they made a little bit of run kind of at the end of each half more so maybe in a little like in like the middle eight or so of the second half because it it got close ish it almost got back to single digits and then ODU kind of controlled it again other than that it wasn't that close and it got you know the lead got stretched out wide in a couple of places and that's where the offense got you know came into being a part of the problem but i did think that you know despite what you can just see from looking at the scoreline it was kind of a defense issue and just this team right now especially with the personnel they had in this game they don't have that margin of error on the defensive side like for better or for worse they just have to be that good and they weren't in this game <laughs> I almost hate that I'm about to say this because another area where they really struggled was at the free throw line and they're a pretty good free throw shooting team. You know, they're normally around 73% for their games, which is good for second in the Sun Belt. And a big part of that is Duan. He's shooting 82% from the, you know, the stripe. Like that's been, you know, his bread and butter all year. So when you lose that, you see a half like they had in the first half where they were two for eight from the charity stripe. And I mean, that's just not going to cut it. And the second half, it was better. They went nine of 10. So they got the whole, the the total percentage in the sixties for the game. But I mean, imagine if they had four more points, five more points at the line that completely changes the complexion of the end of the game there and yeah i know that's a little tacky for me to do because like i said you can't just take duan's production and add it to the final score or to you know this one specific stat and pretend like that would be the end all be all because you're right the defense wasn't good you know but it's it's hard it's hard looking at the team right now and finding you know outside of a couple of individual good spots you know it's just they're just not gelling right now on offense and, you know, something I'd look to, even when Dewan is available, um, Jaheim Hudson only took t- six shots in each of these games, and I think that he's got to be more aggressive. And I say that as a way of saying I think he is a good player, and I think that he can either hunt some mismatches and get switched on to some smaller guys and take advantage of those. He's got a nice little mid-range 
pull up that he's got or turn around when he's got those favorable matchups. And he's also a step quicker than a lot of the bigs in this league and is able to basically win in both of those matchups. And yeah, I think maybe you'd want him taking a few less threes, but he he has a good stroke from out there. It's not falling at a great rate, but you have to honor it. He doesn't take too, too many, and he's made enough that you can't just completely sag off him. I mean, if you do, you risk a game like against Kostori at four of seven from three. And I just think, especially in a game where you didn't have that main guy that you usually lean on offensively, two games where that was the case, this uh, stretch of games, he kind of is the guy I would look to to be the next real aggressor on offense. And I say that sitting here into a microphone is the easiest thing for me to say. In both of the games, he was getting a lot of attention thrown his way. They were throwing him different looks at him. It's not as simple as go score. But I think if he starts going into every game thinking, I can be the best guy on the court, he plays that way. He could be a first-team Sunbelt guy every year he's in college. And that's just kind of, I think, the, the upside that he has. And I think we've seen the growth from year one to year two that we usually see in a lot of college players. And I think it shows you that he's got that ability. I mean, he dropped his career high against Coastal. I think this would have been a game on, a, on the Thursday, on Saturday, either, either one of them would have been a game where if he made himself the focal point a little bit more might have been a better uh, led to better outcomes for the offense. Uh, not to put it all on his shoulders, but I just think as he progresses, you know, whatever happens the rest of this year, as we're going into next year, if he's around, Dewan's around, kind of be those guys' team. And the next step for him is really taking up that mantle in every game he goes out there. And so I guess that's the the mantle I'm throwing down. It's a good mantle because I think I can't tell if it's a correlation or a causation type relationship yet, but I feel like Georgia State has played better in Jaheim's best games. And, you know, I don't know if it's a, you know, all a rising tide raises all ships or something like that. But it just feels like when teams have to honor Dwan and when teams have to honor Jaheim, Everybody else gets involved in sort of way. And like I said, I can't tell if it's a, you know, just a good afternoon for the fellas or if, you know, there's something to that. But I think you're right. Like, I think, honestly, you you can't make Jaheim necessarily the focal point, number one, because Duan is so good. But if he continues to assert himself as that bona fide number two option, I think that will help a lot of other people just because you've got a guard who can attack the rim. You've got, you know, a big who can play really well down low um, and also can space a little bit. So I think it will lead to a lot more open looks for everybody to, you know, kind of figure out where they fit in there. And, you know, we'll talk about it in the Southern game specifically, but this team's identity sometimes when Dewan isn't on the court is all sporadic. And I hate myself that I'm the one saying this because I literally said in last week's pod, I liked the way that the team looked when Dewan didn't start and didn't handle the ball early against Coastal Carolina because they look good. You know, they had, I think, like 26 assists in that game. It, they looked like a really good, complete team. And all of it went for not this week. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention it, but I figured you'd fall on your own sword there. And, you know, salutations for being the big man and referring to 
what you might have gotten wrong. I think to your point, at least part of it is that if you look at just the numbers, Jaheim's kind of the only real down low scoring option on a consistent level. Caleb Scott's at 50% on field goals. He just doesn't play as much. Um, you know, Big Ed Namoko, I think longer term, the offensive game might develop, but I think you're really hoping for a lot of defensive end for him and you get what you can at the offensive end. I think he's still learning at that end at this level. And, you know, playing as a college big is different than playing as a big where he might have been the tallest guy in any game. And it just he can work to the basket no matter what. It's it's harder, especially working out of a system, finding your ways in these sets. You gonna give a guy like that time, but you know, when he's out there and not really offering you that much at that end, and you've got, you know, a, not a group of shooters to where the defense has to honor him a ton to where there's not a lot of room to operate for the guards. You know, if Jaheim isn't down there demanding a double team because how he's playing, or if he's not down there forcing the issue, that's where everything gets a little bit stagnant. So I think that's why it matters. And I think that's why he is important as that sort of secondary option as the offense needs to run because he's kind of it as far as legitimate down low front court options scoring. And that's something I think that needs to probably get addressed, whether it's a guy taking a step in the off season or bringing someone into the team uh, for next season. But yeah, that, uh, that first half of that Southern game kind of summed up a lot of the issues of when this team loses its identity because you know, 13 minute scoring stretch kind of speaks for itself. And it was no fluke. Like it was the shot selection just kind of fell off a cliff. And oh, I don't think they took a single good shot in those, th- like outside the first couple. I really don't think they took a single good shot. And yeah, so it was kind of just academic the way it was playing out. And it was, you know, either jumpers kind of early in the shot clock. I think you saw some pressing because it maybe was a guy who had a little bit of space and it was like, this might be the best look we get all shot clock. So I'm just going to take this now. Um, There were some cases where they were driving to the rim to try and get contact, but maybe driving into two or three guys that had position. And so, you know, when they were trying to force the contact and the contact wasn't there, when that happens, you, you need to get the whistle blown because the shot you get off might not be all that competitive. And you saw that a few times where it'd be a, a layup up off the backboard across the other side of the net into Georgia Southern hands and possession over it, like the, the frustrating thing I think as you watch the game is that run just kept going on and on and on. And Southern ended up with a 24 point lead. I think it was the highest it got in the first half or no, that was their only second half. It got near to 20 and ended up at 18 at the break. It didn't get that big until pretty late on in the half. Like even as they were halfway through that scoring run, I don't have like the play-by-play pulled up in front of me right now, but it was still like 11-point game, 13-point game. And for as bad as they had played, if at that point they had found just any kind of rhythm to get cut it to six, cut it to seven, you know, you're talking about a halftime where instead of being down 18, it's like, well, we couldn't have played any worse than that. And we're down by nine or whatever it is. And then they played better in the second half, but because of the hole, it's kind of the same story as Louisiana trip. It was too much. They had a good second half. They fought back in it. They didn't give up. Kind of the hallmarks, you know, as much as we can harp on just this didn't go well in this game and they lost and they weren't up to stuff. 
clearly they're going to play 40 minutes and they're going to fight hard. And they honestly had a real chance. They had an ability to cut it to a two-score game with under two minutes to go, which would have sounded crazy when it was like, hey, 13 minutes without scoring. But like they did play hard. It just, again, too big of a hole. And the offense was just too left wanting an identity for much of that time. And it, it, it's hard to even analyze a game like that because like, what do you even say? Like we know the shot selection wasn't good. We know they weren't really, they were, you know, had an okay time at the line, but they, you know, in the first half, they only went then shot eight free throws, not a terrible number, but you know, it wasn't like great. It was a lot of jumpers that just didn't, you know, find the bottom of the net and, you know, it was a good bit of turnovers, eight turnovers in the first half. And I mean, they had the same amount of free throws made as baskets made. And like, that's just not a good recipe for success. But it's it's very frustrating watching the second half of that game because they looked so much better because, you know, Colin Moore had a really good half. He hit four of his shots. He, had, you know, got knocked down two free throws. You know, he wasn't the only one. Brennan Tucker, you know, finally looked like he was a capable college basketball player. And it's like something happened at halftime where they just completely flipped a switch. And, you know, to your point, you're right. You it's it's college basketball. It's basketball. Yes, it is a game of runs. You cannot get down that big to teams and always expect to win. I'm sorry. It's just it's especially on the road, especially on the road. And, you know, I don't I. Forgive me if anybody from Georgia Southern is listening to this podcast. I am not dissing Hanner. I just don't think that Hanner was this like crazy electric rattling environment that it's been in the past. And that was the reason, you know, why Georgia State went down and the reason why they didn't complete the comeback. I think, you know, they were cheering. They were loud for their team, obviously, but it's just poor shot selection, you know, poor honestly just poor offensive execution in general and just you know kind of forgetting the fundamentals of how georgia state has played basketball yeah and i think that is where more so especially than the uh, old dominion game missing dewan mattered because they just needed someone to steady things in the first half like it wasn't just going to happen by okay well things will settle down and like it needed someone to re-grab control and that's been something where even if it was kind of some hero ball and some isolation, Dewan's kind of been the most consistent where he's at least been getting to the line when he's been able to do that, or he's not always been perfect with shot selection, but he's been better where he knows his spots on the floor and he knows how to get there and usually has gotten at least good looks to go. And if you just hand the ball to him, you feel a little bit better and you didn't have that option. And no one really stepped up in that regard in that stretch. The second half was better, but that's where the damage was done. And you mentioned Colin and I was kind of saving him for like a, a bright spot to talk about after all the negatives, because first of all, it was good to see Colin Moore on the floor. It had been until this point in the season. And I think he was a guy we were all curious about just kind of like, what's another year of development going to look like for him? What's year one in a new system, new coach who didn't recruit him going to look like for him. And yeah, I think you saw a lot to like from that like it didn't erase the 0-2. It didn't erase the stretches of play where, you know, things looked really rough. But he looked like if they can get a whole the whole group together again, you know, with Dewan back, a really important piece because you mentioned he hit some shots. He, he hit some threes. He hit 
three of his six threes on the two games. And stroke looks good. I think it's clearly something he's probably worked on the last couple of off seasons because he's been getting better at that since his freshman year. He had four steals in the games and just was offering a good energy uh, on defense. There were some turnovers, sure, but I think you can chalk some of that up to that being his first competitive basketball in a long time. And so you'd hope that that would get a little bit cleaned up. And, you know, probably maybe not as important as the threes. I won't say the most important thing, but an important part is that in two games, he got to the free throw line 13 times. And, okay, he hit eight of them. So maybe hit two or three more of those, get the percentage up. But averaging over six trips to the line, if you can make anything like that happen, like that's working, that's that's something that this offense needs, something that helped them in the second half of this game uh, when they did get any kind of offensive consistency going. And, you know, theoretically, he's only going to get better from here. So definitely interested to see what the rest of the season holds in store for him. And nobody is getting to the line at that rate except for Dewan. So that's that's huge. That's really big for right. this team. And I don't know that that's like, we'll see if that's sustainable. I, I would, I, it would be good for Georgia state if it is. Uh, but more than that, I think the thing that he is, is just a wing player for this team that kind of offers it from the inside and the outside. I don't know that 50% from three is also sustainable, but we'll find that out. But even if he's approaching 40, that would be just a complete game changer for where this offense has been, especially because he can also pull it on you and drive down the lane and try and get a layup and drive some contact. So that's what's been missing is that the ability to have someone who can do it at both ends just consistently, because you've seen guys be able to make threes. You've seen guys be able to make, you know, drive, get their shots at the rim. Not too many have been able to do it at both in the same game very often. I mean, the the game where that happened for guys was the coastal game and it was everyone did it at the same time. And other than that, you haven't really been able to rely on anyone to do that. And I think that's, you know, you point to why the offense has struggled. There hasn't been that dynamic threat and I'm not putting the weight of a guy, all of that on a guy who's played two games and is still working back from being hurt. But if he can offer that in conjunction with some other guys stepping up from where they were this past week, there's something there. There certainly is, you know, we'll see, we'll see how things look going forward. And, um, I, we're getting a little bit of separation as we look at the Sunbelt standings. Uh, it's not nearly as much of a blob. You've got three teams that are now at the top as we do our little roundup of the conference heading into this week of games, Marshall Southern Miss and Louisiana are all six and two. Southern Miss kind of the standout if we were talking before the season, but given how the seasons play out, I think probably the three best teams so far, uh, the most consistent teams. And so not at all unfair or unsurprising that they've kind of taken the mantle at the top of the conference for now. Troy, Georgia Southern and ULM are five and three. Um, A couple of teams, maybe a surprise there. Troy, I kind of expect to be pretty decent, um, kind of trending that way. Then three at four and four and James Madison, App State, Coastal Carolina. You got Old Dominion and Texas State at three and five. Georgia State along with South Alabama at two and six. And Arkansas State in last place at one and seven in conference. And so you've got these tiers still, but each of the tiers has less teams on it. You're starting to get a little separation. And now it's not like 
oh, if you go sweep this road trip or lose this road trip, you might drop eight spots in the standings. Uh, it's more like you can maybe slide up a seed line here or there on a weekend, but it's starting to get to where you're going to have to go on a real run to kind of change uh, your seeding, especially from Georgia State's point of view. Like Georgia State is at two and six right now. They've got a it, winning a game sounds like a paradise after the way this last week went, but to get out of the first round of the Sunbelt tournament, they've got to stack some wins together. And that's been the difference between, you know, a team like Georgia State and a team like everybody at the top, honestly. You know, Marshall's put together a good bit of a couple of win streaks. You know, we'll talk about them in a second. But Southern Miss has too. You know, I think they started their season on like an eight-game win streak, and they haven't lost back-to-back games all season. Um, You know, the Raging Cajuns, they had a little blip of a three-game stretch right there that was kind of weird, but they've won – five, six straight games as well. So I'm not saying Georgia State needs to is going to do that, but if they want to, you know, try to inch up to where those teams are, they're gonna have to start, you know, the sense of urgency's got to start yesterday. Well and I guess the other thing is if we're allowing a world where Georgia State is not the Sunbelt representative of the NCAA tournament, which facing facts is the most likely out that's it is not looking very likely that Georgia State is going to be able to repeat their crown. They've got some months to put some rhythm together before Pensacola, but you know, time is against them in that regard. Even if this, the top three is what you take, you know, you talk they're all six and two in conference, Marshall, Southern Miss, and Louisiana. Marshall and Southern Miss are 17 and four right now. Louisiana is 16 and four. I think the Sun Belt's in the best place it's been heading into this like home stretch as far as like multiple real threats. Like there have been good teams in the Sun Belt last year and the last you know last decade since Georgia State joined and you know Georgia State's been that good team a few of those years, but there's been a problem sometimes where it's been like a dominant team and then second place is kind of a drop off and I don't think you have that this year, and I think that's important and especially as Sun Belt is trying to build towards you know the two bid nature being more of a power in basketball and i think they're still a little bit away from that i wouldn't expect any kind of two bid you know even if it is one of those teams losing in the final to one of the other teams i think unless they won the regular season title they're not going to go to the ncaa tournament or the nit still some room to grow in that regard but if you were looking for reason to think that this basketball league is growing even if georgia state isn't providing it I think you're seeing it in general and that's only talking about the top three teams. I think that there's some other good teams right under there like Troy that are also quality. And if they were able to go on a run, Pensacola would put on a a good show for the conference. I think so. Discouraging year for Georgia state kind of encouraging year for the Sunbelt. We're not picking teams or anything, but I, you know, I would extend the same invitation to James Madison. I think they have kind of fallen back from where they were just because the conference you know, record is only four and four, but I could honestly see them, you know, figuring out what has been ailing them the past few weeks, about a month-ish, and they could also kind of enter that upper-level conversation and, you know, be a team that goes on a run in Pensacola. I mean, they're only two games back from the top teams in the Sun Belt in terms of the conference record. Obviously, they're, you know, overall record, I mean, they're four back from... Marshall and Southern Miss, but you know, it uh, definitely wouldn't shock me if a team like that did it either. 
It's honestly worse for those teams at the top if James Madison's buried as like a five or a six seed. Like if they get there up to where they're like quote unquote should be and they're in like the buys, you avoid them until maybe the semifinals. Whereas if they stay lower than they quote unquote should be, someone might have to play them in like the quarterfinal. And that's just not at all a good matchup to draw with the potential they have to just put up points after points after points. But uh, definitely interesting. Uh, I guess it's keeping me engaged fully in the conference when obviously stuff on the home front is looking kind of bleak, but I do think that it being a better league and it being a better league because of the teams that you added vindicates a lot of good things because I think it was kind of like football is what we were adding these teams for and baseball in Southern Miss's case and whatever else we get is gravy, especially because none of them had particularly inspiring last years out of the conference, but they've come in gangbusters and credit to them and adding immediately to the, what this lead is, is trying to do and, all props to them for it. And of course, we have some games this weekend coming up as well at App State Thursday at 6.30 and at Marshall Saturday at 7 p.m. as the men extend their time away from the Convocation Center before returning the week following. Gentlemen, thoughts on these games? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at this as a weekend where you're trying to at least get one to stop the run, one of them is Marshall, who's at the top of the Sun Belt. We just spent a good bit of time talking about why they and other teams at the top are quite good. You look at the App State game as the one that you'd probably want to have. I mean, you look at it, I don't think they're really fully comparable because I think App State has been reasonably better offensively than Georgia State. But when I say that it's not a, just a measure of disrespect, they kind of line up the same way where they are led by their defense. You know, they're similarly ranked in the metrics defensively as Georgia State is. They are pretty comfortably better offensively, but still it's not a strength of theirs um, that they lean on. They're in these low scoring games and they've been able to show some scoring at times, but it's not necessarily what they thrive on. And so it at least on paper seems like a game that Georgia State could be in just because of the way it's going to play out. But you have to factor they've got the home court advantage and that matters and it matters in a place like Boone, even indoors, like you're growing up into the mountains and it's in the environment you have to adapt to. And we don't really know what this Georgia State team is going to look like. You know, still feels like I, I still think DeWan Odom plays Georgia State basketball again this season. But, you know, even if he were like he was dealing with a little bit of an injury even before this absence. And so I don't know what his availability would have been. So it's hard to handicap without knowing exactly what's going on with how available he is and when that happens. Uh, clearly, I think it's a different story if he is just unavailable in either of these games, especially the, the game against Marshall. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you see more of the defense that we've seen in a lot of the conference games, it'll be a game that they can be in because we've shown that this the, the team, when they're playing at their best, the defense keeps them in games even when the offense is struggling. And this could be another one of those games that kind of it works at their pace. And that'd be important. I mean, we've said it all year when Georgia State can play at their pace and, you know, kind of slow things down against other teams. They have shown that they can actually compete and, you know, win games. I think the interesting thing will be, can Georgia State really keep App State from scoring? Um, 
and if they can, I, th- I mean, they'll be right there. It, and it's, it sucks because, like I've said all year, there is offensive talent on the team. You know, we, we talked about Jaheim. We talked about Colin earlier. We talked about Dewan at length this year. There's definitely offensive talent on the team. They've just struggled to put it together. And this is another test where you, if they had a little bit more consistency on offense, you would feel a lot better about their chances to go into Boone and win a game like this. But you, I mean, you have to give the offensive edge to App State. And it's, it's, it's tricky finding, you know, where Georgia State can kind of match up well with them. And, you know, App State's a little bit better at shooting threes. You know, the percentage points are four, point, four percentage points apart, but a whole bunch of ranks just given how the Sun Belt is. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't think that you would look at App State and say, okay, they're thirty-four percent from downtown on the year. They must be booming threes. I mean, they take a good bit of them, but it's not like it's not like a crazy number. Um, so I mean, Georgia State's just going to have to play really sound on the inside and not get in foul trouble. And you know, this will be the first game since that coastal game that they have done that. So if they win. I think the other thing we didn't really talk about, you mentioned turnovers a little bit, but currently the worst turnover rate in the conference and the also along with that, the worst, most possessions on offense ending in a steal um, in the Sun Belt through conference play. Contributing to the woes is also you know, shooting just over 45% on twos in conference play. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, and this is, you know, maybe where you hope having a little bit whenever Dewan is back to kind of steady the offense, just not turning it over. And this is a team in App State that they don't really turn the ball over much. You know, they keep possession. They take care of business. That's the one thing. And it's tricky when you're trying to find that offense. And even if the other team isn't lighting it up, if all they are doing is not giving you those runaway breakaway fast breaks like that's what you need when you're an offensive team you know you're struggling to find your offensive identity and i think it's maybe again going back to the last set of games the frustrating thing about the old dominion game is they actually forced 18 turnovers but they only got 11 points off of those 18 turnovers they were missing chances on fast breaks maybe making an extra pass or just not having a shot fall when they're got favorable numbers and you know if you are not able to do that, whether it's you're getting the opportunities or you're not forcing enough opportunities, that's been an area where I've mentioned that Georgia State struggled in forcing turnovers on defense. And they actually did it in one of the games last week, but they weren't able to make it count because it, it only matters so much if you're also putting up points off it and they weren't able to do that. And so it'll be a test to make this App State team, especially in their home environment, kind of get out of their usual flow and force those turnovers. But you know, I guess that's the next step is because, and this is a carryover thing that I'll say. I said it earlier and I'll say it again about the Marshall game. The only chance they have in the Marshall game is if they play a great defensive game, not a good defensive game, a great defensive game, and the offense is at least okay. Doesn't have to be world beating. Defense, if it's having one of their better games, can maybe keep a minute, but it, it goes back to it's unfair. But when you look at the way the offense is, has been, you kind of have to expect a great game from the defense in some of these 
matchups to have a chance. And that's putting the burden way on one side of the ball. It is what it is. And you look at Marshall. I mean, that's the case. They're a top 60 offense by the numbers. They are the best offense in the conference through conference play so far. And they've got a two man show in Kinsey and Taylor that it's just, they're both incredibly talented offensive players. They run the show. They're really efficient down low. They're bigs. I think are like around 60% and 70% respectively on two. So they don't waste the times where they are the ones taking the shots. Like it really is an impressive machine that Dan D'Antoni's got up there in Huntington. And the, the last time that it was kind of a game like this, that it's kind of like, I don't know how good the odds are for Georgia state was the Auburn game. And they ended up giving Auburn pretty good 40 minutes. But the difference is that Marshall's offense is better than Auburn's offense. And this isn't going to be where it's going to be kind of two similar styles trying to duke it out. Not going to be like it is on Thursday in that regard either. You're going to have to slow down a really hard to slow down offense in Marshall and put up enough points where that matters. Because if you hold them under 70, but you can't get over 60, the offense still does have to do something. But, you know, it's going to have to start again with defense in that game. The good news for Georgia State is Marshall does not shoot the three ball crazily well. The bad news for Georgia State, they are elite at shooting everything else. So good luck to them. You know, you mentioned Kinsey and Taylor. I mean, honestly, if you just had to face Taylor, you'd be like, okay, you know, this is a guy who could pop off. But that's not even talking about the guy who's actually leading the Sun Belt to scoring. Um, it's going to be tough. Like, truthfully, it is going to be a tough game because they run, they run fast. They, you know, they get out there in transition. Um, they have really good percentages from the floor, so they know what they're doing with the ball. Don't turn it over too much. Um, get a lot of assists. A lot of team basketball happens there for those thundering herd. And it, I mean, it is going to be a very tough defensive challenge. And like I said about the App State game, you'd feel a little bit better about their chances if the offense, um, could show you a little bit more. I mean, this is even harder than that. And so I, I don't even know at this point what to say in that regard, just because of how Marshall has just been beating teams. You know, they just, they rack up a lot of points. They score in the eighties, they score in the nineties, you know, um, they haven't hit the nineties in Sunbelt play, but that, you know, out of conference, they were, they were hitting it regularly. They're high 80s in, in Sunbelt play. So, uh, you know, really just one of those situations where you look at it and say good luck. Yeah, and I mean, I went out a little over my skis without knowing to be without Dewan when I talked about last week being a pivotal week. And I don't think this is a pivotal week. I think you got to stack together some wins to get back to anything being a pivotal week. Or, you know, it being the final week of the season, maybe there's, it's the different, you know, win two and you'll get a buy that you didn't have before, but like just kind of about getting better again. Like it's a, a weird year. We're not really worried about seed lines in the NCAA tournament anymore. Kind of just not where Georgia state's been expected to be, but it's yeah. I'll harp on it again. I've, I know that I've mentioned this might've been last week, probably the week before, you know, this is the team Largely, it's going to be the team for the next couple of years. And so the growth that you see, and especially now that you've got a guy like Colin Moore back and in the fold, 
is going to matter no matter how this season ends. And, you know, a lot of lessons, I think, in the end will be learned from this four-game road trip in Jonas Hayes' first year. And I, I wonder, no matter how this week goes, how we will look back at where this team is now versus where it might be in a couple of seasons. And, you know, that they might learn a lot from this stretch of games, however the results end up going, which says a lot about where the results might end up going. But we've seen this team scrap it up, and we've seen that they have the ability to put up some offense. It's just about doing it on any consistent level. And, you know, as we sit here and pontificate on Tuesday night, it looks a little bit dicey, but best I can say is the four-game road trip won't happen again, and you play four straight at home after this. Thank God. Oh, man. That home cooking serves this team so well. All right. So, of course, before we get you out of here, we do have some sports bits to discuss. Thursday evening, it is... All App State, the men and the women both play Appalachian State at 6.30 p.m. Men will be in Boone and the women will be in the Convocation Center. Friday, women's track and field travels to Houston for the Houston Invitational. They'll be competing starting at noon. And then women's tennis plays at Lipscomb and Nashville at 7 p.m. And then on Saturday, women's tennis plays at Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro at 2 p.m. Women host James Madison in the Convocation Center also at 2 p.m. And the men play at Marshall in Huntington, West Virginia at 7 p.m. Other than that, that's all that's happening this week in Georgia State Athletics. And that's all we have for this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. Have a fantastic week. Stay safe, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.